We get it, you're busy. You wanna grow and we wanna help. You're passionate about your craft because it deeply matters to you. Your faith is important, it's your foundation. At Stay Forth, we coach leaders to avoid burnout, live and lead with clarity, purpose, and from a place of health. We want you to experience long-term impact. Welcome to the journey. Well, folks, welcome back to the podcast. If you are listening, know that you can also watch on YouTube. So hello, and I'm formally waving to you from our new podcast studio. If you're watching over on YouTube, would love for you to head on over there. I think that the interviews take on a little bit more fun when you can see where the person's coming from, the context of, I don't know, their house, their office, their studio. And of course, it's a little bit more fun to see us interact that way. So hop on over to Stay Forth Leadership Podcast on YouTube. Guys, this is a big week for us here at Stay Forth. This is when we restart uh, and I guess kind of get a new crew or batch of folks in our effective leader cohort. So for those of you who have joined us, thanks for taking a risk on this cohort. We believe these eight weeks will shape your life. If you didn't jump in this time, guys, I encourage you to do this next time, to really invest. Maybe you bring your whole team in there, but it's great to see faces in here. We are starting over with these eight core skills, and I cannot wait to get to know these folks. Guys, we're going to continue to bring you relevant guests here on the podcast, and this guest is honestly one of my favorite authors. His name is Todd Henry, and I'm holding his book right here called Die Empty. He has another book called Herding Tigers, and he says that leading creatives is not like herding cats. It's like herding tigers. That has been incredibly helpful to me, and I actually recommend that quite a bit to those who lead over creative teams. So, Todd is a great guy. He's a great thinker. And I would say in this episode, what really sticks out to me is his discipline. He's writing a book about bravery, but don't get lost in the process of that. This is not about massive decisions. As he talks about here, it's mostly about small decisions that we do over and over again. Guys, this has been the secret sauce that I have found in my life too, is that finding the right things, 5, 10, 30 minutes at a time, end up shaping my life inordinately when I do them over time. I'm currently writing my next book. And so he's speaking directly to me as a wordsmith, as somebody who has just finished his seventh book, and it is called The Brave Habit. And I cannot wait to crack it open once it arrives from Amazon. Todd talks about being a creative professional. It's not what you think. You don't have to work at Google. You don't have to paint and you don't have to be a photographer to be a professional, let alone a creative professional. He talks about a creative being someone who makes decisions. Makes decisions, creates solutions. I'm guessing that's you as you listen. So friends, I love this interview. We're going to bring you ones that kind of go across the board. I don't care who you are. Uh, you need to have brave habits. You are a creative professional and you are a leader. You have influence. We want you to steward that influence. We're going to continue to have conversations like the one with Todd, like the one we've had the last few weeks around your health and your impact. Friends, let's start off the year right. We are still early in the year. It's okay if you've gotten off track on your goals, but let's create some brave habits and shape our way forward. Enjoy my conversation with my friend and my second time guest, Todd Henry. And by the way, hang around for the lightning round at the end. You don't want to miss it. Thanks, friends. Enjoy this interview. Todd, welcome back. Thank you so much. It's so good to be here. Thanks for the invite. 
Yeah, absolutely. So fair warning, when somebody comes on more than once, and that's you, we have a lightning round at the end. So we kind of want you to live in fear just a little bit for what is coming at the the ominous end uh, of the lightning round. I've always loved your stuff. Um, love the way you think about creativity, being a creative pro. I want to talk about that. But first of all, man, congrats. This is launch week. Uh, right now, the book has just come out. We're going to dive into that here in a little bit. But I wanted to discuss first the name change. So you have been yeah. accidental creative everything as sort of your brand for many years. Why the switch to Daily Creative? Yeah, we actually did an entire episode of Daily Creative uh, about this uh, that's releasing this week, the same week as the book launch, um, and told the whole story. But, um, you know, I started Accidental Creative in 2005, and uh, it started because I was leading a creative team. Uh, I was a creative director and was really struggling. We tried to keep my team, you know, focused, and, and people were like burning out. And I was trying to figure out, okay, how do I manage that? And could really find a lot of great answers. And so as I was doing research and trying some things, I found some things that were working. And this new thing called podcasting had just started. So I thought, hey, I'll, I'll launch a podcast and then put it out there. And it caught on and became kind of a thing. And it was called The Accidental Creative. Um, and that obviously grew into a brand that became a book that then became, you know, a series of books now on my seventh book. And I've always had an uneasy relationship with that name. It was sort of something that I did as kind of a, a lark when it wasn't even a business yet, just as like a kind of catchy name. Uh, but it never really resonated as a brand because it's the opposite of what I talk about. I mean, I, I, I talk about... Really, the uh, intentional creative is so much... Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> exactly right. And so, you know, I would go speak it. I mean, uh, every conference I go speak at, people are like, so help me understand why accidental? Why why is accident, you know... Um, and it's and it's totally true. Like it, it, it's sort of. And I had all these ways of explaining it. Like, well, it's about creating creative accidents where you have these dangerous intersections where ideas like forge and all this stuff. Um, but at the heart of it, like I just, it was never a really resonant brand. And so there was that. That was the the renaming was was due to that. And then um, as I was writing this book, The Brave Habit, uh, you know, in the book I challenged people to ask all kinds of really dangerous questions, some brave questions. And one of the questions that I began asking myself was, if I were to start over, like I did back in 2005 with Accidental Creative, if I were to start over, would I be doing things the way I'm doing them now? And the uncomfortable answer I came to was, no, I, I wouldn't. I would be doing a lot of things differently. And then the next logical question, of course, is, well, then why are you doing them that way? If that's not the way you would do them if you were starting over, and so I had some really difficult decisions to make. And we completely reinvented the show. Uh, we started over after, I think, 2,500 episodes we've done, 2,500, 3,000 episodes of, of the Axel Creative. We removed the entire back catalog, started over as Daily Creative on January 1st, 2024, started over with episode one. So the entire back catalog is gone, like 18 years of work, completely gone. Um, started over with a new brand. It's a new vibe. You know, it was kind of an inter interview show before, and now it's really more story driven and narrative driven. Um, because that's kind of where I feel like people are right now. That's kind of where I wanted to meet them. And it, it kind of plays into my strengths too as a, as a creative director, you know? Sure. Um, so that's, it was a, it was a really difficult thing. And with that, as with a lot of you know, sort of brave decisions, comes a cost. Um, in this case, you know, we forewent advertising during this new season, which was not an insignificant amount of money. I mean, that's a really nice salary for someone that we're intentionally foregoing in order to 
uh, in order to do this, but we just feel like it's the right thing. So we're completely reinventing the business, reinventing the brand, reinventing the show, all the things I've been doing for 18 years. But I couldn't be someone putting out a book called The Brave Habit that's challenging people to do brave, courageous things with their work and not be willing to pursue brave, courageous things with my work and, and sort of put my actions where my mouth is. I, I would have been the biggest hypocrite in the world. And so in some ways, writing this book sort of became the genesis for a lot of things I didn't anticipate. And that's kind of what I'm hoping will happen for people who read it as well. Sure. Yeah, the message you needed and an integrity kind of gut check along the way. Can you give a, an example or two, some other habits that you had to kind of reinvent? Yeah. I mean, I think for for me with with doing a reinvention of the show and the way that we've done it, um, I realized I'm not going to be able to do this alone anymore. I mean, I've always done the podcast on my own. And so I brought in a producer, a really brilliant guy. I'd worked with him in the past. He'd done a lot of work on herding tigers back in 2018 when he worked for an agency. He helped put together some, some narrative and some, uh, some, some visuals for herding tigers for me. And I thought, hey, this this would be great. We'll work on this together. And he's kind of a story expert and kind of has his own company doing doing story work. And so probably one of the biggest habits I had to change was realizing I have this really nice, comfortable thing I've been doing by myself for 18 years. And it's really nice and profitable and it's great. But I can't do this on my own. If I want to get where I want to be, I'm going to need other people around me. And so that was a habit that I had to change, the thing of like, I have complete control. I'm in command and control of everything, every decision. Sure. Faster, a little bit easier. Yeah, it's a lot faster. I mean, seriously, it would take me, I, mean, I always sort of joked that I could, you know, record and release an entire podcast episode in like 45 minutes, you know, like have it ready to go. Um, it's just not the way it works anymore. And so I didn't want to do that. I, I didn't want it to be fine. I wanted it to be great, which means I need to lean into the talents of other people. And that's a habit. It's a habit to be willing to lean into or to, to develop the capacity to lean into other people. So that's definitely something I had to change as a result. And why bravery? Why did you choose to write on bravery right now? So in 2013, I released a book called Die Empty. And that book- Great one, yes. by the way. Love it. Recommend it to Thank all you, you listeners. Solid. I believe it's uh, in the yellow stack right behind me if you're watching on YouTube. No. Fantastic. Um, sold lots of copies. It was my second book. Sold lots of copies was read all over the world, translated to a bunch of languages. I spoke about it all over the world. And there was one topic I overlooked in that book. You know, I talked about all these places you can get stuck and all the things that can happen and how you need to push through these places and how to identify them. But the one thing I didn't talk about was probably the most important topic, which is how do you find the courage to do these things that are very countercultural? And where does that courage come from? So I started thinking about courage and I thought, well, I'm not really talking about courage. I'm actually talking about bravery because you know, we love to talk about courage. Um, you know, be more courageous, have courage, go, be courageous, do the courageous thing. And we hear this, you know, lead with courage. And that's fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Courage is a virtue, certainly. But telling somebody to be courageous is a little bit like telling them to be a couple inches taller or, you know, jump a little higher. I mean, it's like, you can tell me that all you want, but it's, how do I muster that up? Bravery, on the other hand, is a decision. I can see somebody do something and say, I can't look at somebody and say that person's courageous, but I can look at them and say, that was very brave. Well, they just did was very brave, right? And so it's my belief that bravery is the active form of courage. It's courage deployed in a moment of need. 
And so what I wanted to do was in some way begin to demystify some of the dynamics that lead to brave action. Uh, because we can we can see brave action. We can tell when people are, are acting bravely. Um, and what I discovered is that, you know, really in those moments when people do things that seem uh, almost like those those outlier moments when people accomplish something or do something or say something or introduce something or build something that is an outlier, it's usually because they exhibited bravery in some capacity. They had to act bravely in the face of uncertainty. So I wanted to figure out, like, what is it that causes people to do that? What are the conditions when bravery is likely to occur? And I came to some pretty compelling answers. I started writing this in 2016. And in that time, since 2016, I released Louder Than Words. I released Herding Tigers. I released The Motivation Code. I released Daily Creative. So I've been working on this book over the span of about four books, four other books I've I've written because I wanted to get to the real essence of it before I released it. And um, as a testament to that, it's the shortest book I've ever written. It's uh, about 156 pages, but it's very dense and it's not, uh, there's not a lot of fluff, there's not a lot of stories. It took me a long time to get down to 156 pages, you know, which is way harder than writing 300 way harder, way harder, because it would be much easier for me to say, well, it could also be this or this or this, or it could be these things, or look at these stories of people. And what about this, right? Um, it's much harder to just get it down to the basics and give people something really practical they can read in a, you know, two or three sittings um, and then go apply. And that's really what I wanted this book to be. Mm. And that's even a brave decision right there. I work with some writers developing their book and they'll say, yeah, I got 90,000 words. And they're like, start shopping. And yeah. that is, it's hard to kill your darlings. And it's hard to, you know, what if they say this and there's a tangent on the side, I'll cover this. It's like, well, then you can have a conversation about it. So it strikes me that that's even a brave decision uh, to write a shorter amount on something that people have written a lot about over the years. And you obviously have a unique angle on. So excited to pick yeah, it up. Well, it's, well, thank you. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I was, I was once in a room um, at Portfolio, which was my publisher for my first, my first five books. Um, and Adrian Zakheim, who is a legend of the publishing world, came in, and we were talking about my book, Die Empty, actually, and I was kind of at an impasse. I was a little bit stuck writing this book, and I was talking through with my editor, and we were kind of trying to work it through, and Adrian came walking in and said, what's going on? We explained, and he said, are you trying to write the perfect book for every person in every situation? And I was kind of like, uh, <laughs> maybe, no. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, and he said, you can't do that. He said, you need to write a book that's going to be useful to most people most of the time. That's the book mm, you need to write. Good. And I thought, good. man, that is a really, because I think we become paralyzed, like you said, by all those contingencies. We become paralyzed by, well, I need to make sure that it doesn't, you know, discount this or it doesn't overlook that or whatever. And it's like, no, just, just get to the governing dynamics and write about those. And then let, I mean, people are smart. People who are reading books are smart, right? Like they're they're going to fill in the gaps. You don't have to spell everything out for people, but just give them, make treat them like they're smart, and give them the governing dynamics, and they'll connect the dots in their own world, and they'll you know they'll uh, chew the meat and spit away the bones, right? Like they're you don't have to hold people's hand. People are smart, and so that was really good advice. It actually served me well for all of my other books. Now this is my seventh book and really it served me well because I realized I don't have to be all things to all people. I can just be 
most things to most people most of the time. And that's really my job as a writer. Mm, that's good. I'm in my writing process for my next book. So, you know, thanks for the writing coaching here on the plot. <laughs> is, is there one brave habit that leaders you think especially need right now in the context of this moment? Yeah. I mean, listen, we're all facing uncertainty right now. And I think one of the things that, that concerns me the most culturally is that I see going on and I see it inside of organizations. I see it culturally. I see it politically. I see it inside neighborhoods. I see it in, you know, small groups of people who are, you know, organizing in some way is that we, it's much easier in this world of distributed responsibility to allow somebody else to be the person to say the hard thing or to be the person to say, Hey, I think there's something wrong here or Hey, I don't think what you just said is actually true. Um, it's so much easier to let other people do that. And, you know, in the book, I sort of play off this dichotomy between the coward and, you know, and bravery. And inside of you lives a coward. And that coward is fed every time you choose to do the easy thing, to take the path of comfort. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean that you should speak up every time, but if you feel compelled to speak up, you should at least pay attention to that hunch, to that notion. Um, and there should be a really good reason why you don't. I think we often inflate cowardice with wisdom. Mm. Oh, would it, be, would it be better if somebody else did, or it's not really my place to do it, or uh, maybe I'll wait and see if it just passes. That would be you know, a better situation. Sure. Or, you know. And so we, we conflate cowardice with wisdom, and we excuse it as wisdom when actually it's just cowardice. It's us not rising to the moment. And so uh, the thing I see is out of organizations is, is leaders not being willing to say the things that are plain truth that are right in front of us. They're not willing to say it. They're not willing to speak it. They're not willing to have that conversation. And the net result is then trust erodes within the organization because everybody can see what's going on, but nobody's talking about it. And so they don't believe anything you say. It's not the big things we do, that tend to erode trust. It's the little things that we do. It's the small things that we overlook or the places where we don't step up as leaders um, that erode trust more than, you know, like most people are overtly lying to their team, right? Um, or overtly embezzling money or something from their company. It's little things that erode trust. When people look at you and say, I don't really know if that's a person that I'm willing to take a risk on because they don't seem to really be willing to take any risk you know, on behalf of us or whatever. So yeah, I think that's really the big thing that I'm seeing right now. So true. I saw a, um, I remember talking to a leader who could not trust the leader of that organization because he didn't park in the staff parking lot and parked in the no parking right next to his office. Mm -hmm. And it was like, if he's going to cut that corner, what other corners? The smallest thing. And somebody could say, not a big deal. Come on. But I, I just think people are watching people are skeptical people are looking for integrous leaders and and it's so true and so maybe if bravery is this capital b bravery to do massive things like yeah, who am i what brave thing do i have but it's maybe it's getting up and doing your work and being consistent um and like you say speaking out man excited to crack this one open uh i want to talk about being a creative professional you put those uh, words together and yet many times they're separated what kind of stands in the way of someone viewing themselves both as creative and a professional. 
Well, I think we often conflate creativity and art. So people think that, oh, I'm not creative because I don't make music or I don't paint paintings or I don't uh, write books or I don't do these kinds of things. Um, but that's not what creativity is. Th those acts are certainly creative, but they're art. Um, creativity is problem solving. So if you have to solve problems, you're a creative. And if you do that for a living, you're a creative professional. And so I think that's one of the things that gets in the way is just people don't see themselves for what they are. Um, now, once you adopt and begin to live out that moniker of creative professional, then you're open to an entirely new set of dynamics and pressures. Um, you know, if you solve problems for a living, you probably don't solve problems on your own time, on your own budget. Whenever you get around to it, it's fine. Just come up with a good solution. Let me know when you when you arrive at something. No, it's usually like we need this solved by next Tuesday at 10 p.m. or 10 a.m. for the client meeting. And if you don't have it solved, then you're going to lose your job, right? Um, well, how do you know when that idea is going to come? How do you know when the problem is going to be solved? How do you know when you're going to have the breakthrough, the aha moment? You you don't. So that creates all of this tension and pressure. And then multiply that by what? Two, three, five, seven. How many projects do you have going on where you need that breakthrough at any given point? And you have to do it with other people who have different opinions about things and you're waiting for information and all that. So these are just a few of the kinds of dynamics that exist that we're really not wired for. I mean, if you look at the grand scope of human history, what do we do? I mean, we basically like farmed once we were civilized, we farmed, you know, before that we just like walked around with sticks and tried to kill things and eat them, you know, like, I mean, yeah, there were problems to solve, but like we weren't inventing and making and solving problems and, and sitting on our rear all day, like, you know, thinking about things and collaborating and dealing with all those pressures. We were doing that. And so this is new in the history of humankind that we've had these kinds of unique pressures that we have right now. Um, not solving a problem thousands of years ago meant you were going to be eaten by a saber-toothed tiger, right? Um, not solving a problem now means you could lose your livelihood or, you know, you could lose your reputation or whatever it is. So we're not really equipped to deal with some of these pressures. Right. And so we have to build some practices in our life. And that's what I've been teaching for 18 years now. You have to build practices in your life to prepare you for those moments. You can't just wing it. You can't rely on talent. Talent will get you in the game, but your practices keep you at the table. Right. That's, that's what your practices do for you. Mm. Um, man, a bunch of different directions we could go with that, but, but that's, that's gold right there. Um, what are you, other than this topic of bravery, what are you thinking about these days? What are you investing your precious attention on these days? So I actually am writing three, uh, books right now. Uh, well, actually, I'm working on two now. I was writing three until The Brave Habit um, got to a point where I'm no longer working on that one. I'm working on two other books right now. Um, one of them is on where ideas come from and how to spot a great idea. And the other one is on simplicity, but not simplicity in the way we think of it. Simplicity, um, as we typically talk about it, is like simplify your life and just you know try to achieve that state of workplace nirvana, you know, <laughs> that's not the kind of simplicity I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is how do we ensure as an organization that our objectives and our incentives are aligned, right? That's, that's an area of unnecessary complexity. In a lot of organizations, we say we want one thing, but we incentivize another. Well, that's complexity that, the, that we have to deal with. What if, what if 
our objectives and our incentives were aligned. You know, suddenly people have a much more simple view of what success looks like. And so I've been really thinking about stuff like that. I work with a lot of leaders, so um, really sort of helping them figure that stuff out. And then on the idea front, I think that's the big question I've always wanted to answer is how do you know when an idea is good versus when it's not, when it's bad? And so that's kind of the other big um big question I've been asking in the in the book the other book I've been working on. Mm-hmm. You're gonna save us a lot of time in uh in the the next season of our ideation. Um I wanna talk about words. You are a wordsmith and a great question asker, hard to come by um these days. What's your process? for honing down your words um are, are you talking about the written form or in the spoken form yes if it's different yeah. share both sides of that well uh, so I'll, I'll tell you what it is i think um i spend a tremendous amount of time doing nothing and to find nothing you speak of yeah um in the morning the first thing I do is I, I sit and I have a cup of coffee and I eat my breakfast and I sit in a chair in my office over in the corner. And I, I mean, I, I do some study, but that's been a lot of time just synthesizing, just thinking, just letting my mind wander and, and getting to the places that I normally wouldn't get to when I'm in a distracted state. Uh, when I'm sort of bouncing and flitting from thing to thing is is most what most of us do. Um, I think most of us are so busy we're not even aware of what's on our mind. And so a big part of my work is just figuring out what's on my mind. You know, what are those patterns that are being formed that I'm not even aware of? Um, and so, you know, I mentioned I've been working on the Brave Habit for, for seven years. Um the, the core idea of that, I started speaking about in like 2019, but it wasn't quite ready yet. Like it wasn't fully there yet. And so it had this, it had to simmer some more. I had to give it more space to kind of coalesce. I needed to do some more research. I think that we, you know, you have to give an idea space until it starts to feel a kind of weight or kind of gravitas. It has to feel um, like there's there's something more to it than just a hunch. Um, most people put ideas out way too early. And what I mean by that is they, you know, something excites them and so they put it out, but they haven't really given it the time necessary to really get to the essence of what that idea is. It doesn't mean you shouldn't share your ideas with other people. But I think you have to be really careful to make sure that you're sharing the thing that it's supposed to be. Because if you share it, if you share it too soon, sometimes it won't have the impact that you want. Um, if you wait just a little longer until you get to the really the, the essence of it, then sometimes it'll have much more impact. Um, because you know, you you people will only pay so much attention to you, and um, if you're if you're sharing things that don't have that weight of profundity to them, then people will say, okay, that's interesting, and they'll move on. And the next time you come along with the more refined version, they'll say, oh, yeah, I've heard this before, right? Well, no, not really. No, I've heard it before, and they just kind of gloss over it. So I think you have to be really careful, but for me, the biggest part of it is just that time I spend in solitude and just allowing my mind to wander and discovering what's on my mind. Mm, That's good. That strikes me as bravery as well. 
to not do the 15 or 20 other things on your mind projects because that's become a discipline for you. Um, a friend of mine said many years ago, without margin, there's no imagination. It was one of those like, oh, I wish I would have said that. But I repeat it weekly. It's like, man, I, I need that in order to dream again. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about um, crafting meaningful words. Uh, there are a lot of people that will ask me, how do I, you know, whether it's the 90,000 words down into the 45,000, whether it's, man, how do I take these three pages and put them into a one pager in that? How do you do that process of sort of chipping away to make sure that the words have punch and that they're great? So it's it's a multi-part process, but I would say uh, a, a phrase that one of my editors um, a brilliant editor, Nikki Papadopoulos, um, would use with me all the time when we were trying to get to the core essence of a book was idea set. You have to get to the idea set. What's the idea set? And the idea set is that the, the core messages in the book that reinforce the central theme. Mm. Um, you know, most people think that you, to write a book, you sit down and you just start typing with page one, you know, and, and you just type through until you get to the end. And that's not the way books emerge. Books, I write my books inside out. I, I, I write a section that might be in chapter six, and then I'll write a section that's in chapter two, and then I'll write a section in chapter nine. And you know, very rarely do I sit down and like write an entire chapter. And I do that for a reason. It's because I have, from the start, a really clear set of ideas that I'm exploring. I have that idea set in place, and then I kind of write around that idea set. So that, for me, that would be the advice I have for people: is like, don't think of a book as a as a sequence of chapters. Think of it as a set of ideas, and they kind of form a circle, and they all reinforce one another. And you have to get to that idea set and figure out, like, what is that idea set that reinforces the theme or that gets you where you want to go? Man, love it. So much there. All right, the moment you've been fearing, Todd, the moment we've all been waiting for, the lightning round. Again, you get one free pass. Come on the podcast because this is your second time. We're going to make you a little uncomfortable or no, okay. we're going to have some fun with this. What's one guilty pleasure that you have in your life? One guilty pleasure is uh, Trader Joe's sour jelly beans. Oh, all their desserts are so good. What's one piece of advice you regularly give to friends or to your kids? Um, well, I'll say when we uh, when we were put our kids on the school bus, I'll, I'll go back a little ways because my kid I have two kids in college and one that's almost graduating from high school. So um, we would say, Work hard, have fun, and love other people. That's what we tell people. Mm. And I tell, tell them when they got on the school bus, I still think that's good advice. Work hard, have fun, love other people. That's good. Other than having margin over coffee and breakfast in the morning, what's one habit that keeps your life together? A study. I mean, uh, no question. In 2002, I developed a regimen of study, and that's still to this day the thing that keeps me, I think, collected intellectually is that I'm constantly putting new ideas in my head. Mm. All right. If we're in a big city... And I say, dinner's on me, man. Doesn't matter what it is. Where are we going? Uh, we're probably going to a steakhouse. Okay. I'm a meat and potatoes kind of guy. All right. There you go. Um, what is one quote that you regularly uh, say out loud to other people? Uh, there's a Thomas Merton quote I love, and I use it all the time when I speak. Um, but it's a little long. So I'll, instead, I'll use one from The Brave Habit, which is Khalil Gibran, Um in... 
uh, the prophet he wrote, uh, verily the lust for comfort murders the passion of the soul and then walks grinning in the funeral. And, uh, I, you know, I think that the lust for comfort murders the passion of our soul. And I think it often causes us to, um, retreat into a place of cowardice. But the, the part of it that kills me is the next line, which is, and then walks grinning in the funeral, right? Um, when we succumb to comfort and cowardice, we murder our own soul. Wow. Uh, but when we choose bravery, we become fully human. So that would be my encourage to people. Serious mic drop, drop moment. Um, what's one movie that brings you to tears when you watch it? Uh, <laughs> any movie with an underdog, you know, where an underdog overcomes the odds. Um, so I'm going to go with Rudy, actually. So uh, the movie Rudy, yeah. So good. Last one, uh, just to get serious, uh, an encouraging word that you can offer our listeners. There's somebody out there who's struggling Somebody out there said, this book's never going to happen. Uh, this piece of content I've created sucks. Um, I should do everybody a favor and quit. That leader that's down right now, what's one encouraging word you can leave them with? Yeah. Um, so here's the thing. I've written seven books since 2010. Um, so seven books in, what, 13 years? Um, but I've never in my life written a book. Never have. Um, I've written words that become sentences, that become sections, that become chapters, that become books. So I, I know that sounds maybe a little reductive and maybe a little pandering to people, but I just want you to know, like the way I approach my work is this. Um, I sit down and I write 500 words every single day and Monday through Friday and Monday through Friday, if I write 500 words, that's 2,500 words a week. And that's a chapter every two weeks. That's a couple chapters a month. That's a draft in six months. Um, that's all you have to do. As Austin Cleon says, don't focus on the noun, focus on the verb. Don't focus on being a writer, focus on writing. If you want to be a musician, don't. I mean, I just did an interview for my podcast. It's going to release in a couple of weeks with Thad Cockrell, um, who didn't even start playing music until he was in college. And then he wrote eight songs and said, okay, I've got eight songs. I'm going to put an album together, right? I'm going to make an album because I've got eight songs. And then he put that album together, like spent all his money making that album. And it got like massive reviews from all these big magazines. It was like album of the year and all this stuff, crazy stuff. And you can look at him and, and be like, you know, oh, well, I should be, be like that. I should just wait until I've got like eight songs, you know, and do a thing. But the reality is the guy was sitting down like working and writing and doing his thing you know for 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 years um because music was just his thing that's what he did he's a musician it's what he does he makes music and so my encouragement to people is just listen you don't have to do everything you just have to do today's work that's all you have to do you don't have to write a book you just have to write 500 words today that's all you have to do just write 500 words um and if you do that enough days in a row you're going to get better at your craft and eventually you're going to have a body of work you can point to with pride beautiful my friend congrats the brave habit can't wait to crack it open this is launch week friends go to amazon and grab a copy todd keep putting out great work thanks for what you do thank you